Dear Broadies, before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion in the United States. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety, and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions in this country. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans and people who live in America. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. You can find a list of where to donate in each state at donationsforabortion.com. That's donations, the number four, abortion.com. I have personally started donating to states where trigger laws go into effect immediately. Remember, even if you can only spend $1 or $5, that helps. There are things we can do to fight this, and it is going to take continued focus and community support. So I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. As many people did, I fell into a very deep depression. And in a weird way, the work sort of saved me. But in another awful way, it was like, oh, this is an incredible platform, an incredible opportunity. I have so much support and the access to the resources at New York Magazine. And for the first time, I just, like, inspiration is so hard to come by. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Pod Broads. This is a podcast about women in podcasting, and I'm your host, Alexandra Cole. Welcome back, broadies, to another episode of the Pod Broads. If you missed last week's episode, I hope you'll go back and check it out. It was with Lindsay Simsek and Krista Williams of the Almost 30 podcast and community. And it was just such a lovely conversation and has been really useful to me in thinking about how to engage with conflict better. And I think it'll be useful to you too. Even this past week, I found myself using language that Lindsay shared that she uses, like saying, quote unquote, I experienced this moment like this, dot, 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 rather than thrusting blame onto another person. And while it's not always easy, when I am able to shift into that language, I already notice a difference in how I feel in that moment. And beyond that, I've been in this just kind of difficult emotional state for the past few weeks. And frankly, I think it is in large part because we are nearing the end of the year, schedules are crazy, we're going into the holidays, and a lot of people are pressed for time. And while I'm dealing with other stuff too on top of that, it's really largely in part to me being super burnt out. And I think a lot of us are. And I keep thinking about how and when we'll all really have time to process the effects of the pandemic and all of the major shifts that came with that time. And I don't really know when that will happen. And it probably is going to just have to happen piece by piece. And I just hope that if you're kind of feeling the same or similar to me, that you're doing okay and you're finding ways to manage and cope and give time to yourself and to be kind to yourself. 
I also bring this topic up too because in this episode today, I talk with Avery Truffleman, who is someone I really admire in podcasting, someone who I've been following the work of since seeing her speak at Work It in 2019. And she is a podcast producer and host for those of you who don't know her already or know of her already, among the many other things that she does and that makes up her identities. And she's worked on podcasts like 99% Invisible, Articles of Interest, The Cut, and Nice Try. And one of those things we talk about in our conversation is this episode of The Cut called We Are All Burnt Out and the way work intersects with personal life. And then Avery so graciously shares with me how difficult it was to transition into her role at The Cut, essentially at the start of the pandemic, but also how amazing and life-saving it was at the very same time. And as a listener, it was one of those shows that helped me feel not alone in what I was feeling or thinking about or trying to wrap my brain around, especially during that period of shelter in place into and through the first wave of the pandemic. There was this kind of dreamy air to our conversation, which in part was due to the lighting in her room while we were on Zoom, which totally gave like podcast noir vibes, (laughs) but also just the reflective and inquisitive nature of the chat itself and how Avery moves through the conversation to get to the root of her answer. And I've experienced that from her as a listener many times over, but it was cool to see it applied to even more of her personal story and journey and also to get to see her be able to reflect on that time with the cut, one that, you know, I had my own personal connection to as well. And I also got to hear her share with me and now all of us about the new season of Nice Try, which is officially out and has been out since October 14th, 2021. And you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. So I'll let her tell you about it in the latter portion of this episode. You're also going to get to hear about why Avery was kicked off Tinder within 24 hours and what the pandemic did to our respective art consumption habits. And really an exploration of how different you know, we experience our lives and who we are and how we present to people versus how those people outside of our own perspective view us, which was a helpful piece of this conversation for me as well. And I hope that it helps you maybe give yourself more credit or see yourself and the work that you do in a different light than maybe you do at the moment. Plus, uh, we also get to hear Would You Rather, including Oh Darlin' by The Beatles, which refers to a part that didn't make the final cut of this episode. So I want to give you some momentary context that you can bring with you later on into the episode of, as you get toward the end. But what you need to know to understand that Would You Rather is that it's a go-to karaoke song for Avery, but she's not necessarily a fan of it. In fact, it's kind of like the weakest link in The Beatles discography for her. So yeah, I think that about covers it and without further ado here is my conversation with Avery well it's so lovely getting to talk to you face to face finally I don't know finally for me no 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 work for a while but I feel the same way you've always been so like supportive and um not only to me but just to of course like the whole podcasting community it's been very we I don't know you're thank you for your work it's very nice to meet you too I really appreciate it and of course like I've loved hearing 
uh, other people I admire on your show and I'm very chuffed to be in their leagues. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I always ask people to introduce themselves and say like who they are in their work and then who they are outside of their work. So we'll start there and then I, I have a funny story to tell you. Okay. <laughs> you know, I always hate this because one, I think I have a stupid, silly name and two, I think the job of podcaster is stupid and silly. So like some of the hardest thing, this is like the hardest thing for me to do is say my name and what I do because I'm just like want to crawl into a hole and die. Like could you get more like twee and whatever, but my name is Avery Truffleman, and I am a podcaster. <laughs> That's what I do inside of my work, and I'm really not much outside my work. And I and I and I weirdly, I'm not um, ashamed of it. I really think, without going on some larger philosophical rant or something, I don't know. I just my friends find their way into my work. My mm. the ideas that I read and see find their way into my work. It's all very interwoven and I think there's a difference between you know deriving your self-worth from your work but you know like recently I started mm -hmm. making music and now like I'm making music for mm. work and like it all it all I just kind of pour everything into it but it's yeah it's nothing I'm I'm trying not to be too ashamed of it or too proud of it and just treat it a bit dispassionately. And that kind of is what it is. Yeah, I'm thinking of, I'm actually thinking of that episode you did on the cut with, oh God, the name is escaping me now. But you you have, there's an episode where you're talking about- well, with Esther Perel. Work. Yeah. yeah I, thought it was, I thought it was Esther Perel, but I was like, maybe I just think it is because everyone's been saying her name to me a lot recently. Oh, yeah. But about the, like that divide and how some people- some people do have like a really clear boundary there. And I'm definitely one of those people saying like same that I don't. I mean, there are things that I, I guess would identify as that isn't necessarily about my work. Like, like what? Um, <laughs> I'm like, how do I say I'm a, I am a wolf, like enthusiast, cool. obsessive cool. person about wolves. Um, and I'm like, when I say it out loud like that, I'm like, you sound a little um, nuts. But I, they're just, they're one of those loves that I have that'll never die. And I just know it. Like, do you go places to hear them or see them? I, I wish that I could more, but I did one time go up with my sister. There's this place north of this city. If you take like the Metro North up that you can go and see live wolves and, um, they're like a conservation center. And I mean, that was the first, first time I got to see them in person and it was just like so amazing. Um, and I learned a lot more about them, which was cool, but I, I don't know. I just like really loved them ever since I was a kid and uh, I think as I get older, I feel like there can be a reason for it. There also cannot. But I think part of it is like, I like the stuff about their pack, like how, you know, the the sick wolf goes in the front of the pack. And I didn't know that. The, the he yeah, the head, the head of uh, the alpha like is normally at the end so that everyone's safe. And then there's like, I don't remember the exact order, but I know that like, it's just very like team oriented and like really supportive in the way that I feel like it is. So I like love that about them. And that's obviously beautiful. they're beautiful creatures. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's one of those things. And I mean, technically it's in my work right now because we're talking about it on the <laughs> podcast. But <laughs> it's so all are the lines that yeah, clear. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but that's interesting though. Like I, 
And now I'm curious, like prior to being a podcaster, like how would you have answered that question differently? I mean, I've always I like, how do I put this? I mean, before I was a podcaster, I was like a student, you know, I was in like yeah. high school mm-hmm. and I just have been this for a long time. I mean, I, one of the reasons I decided where to go to college was because of their radio station. And I spent all my mm-hmm. time in the radio station and I took all my classes pass fail and mostly just like did the radio station. And so it's always just been like, I loved, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. And granted, I mean, there's a whole other kettle of fish. I could go on and on about this. I think <laughs> radio and podcasting are very different. And a lot of people say they're not, but I think they really, really are. So I guess before I was a podcaster, I was a radio person. But I think yeah. that also has a sort of all-encompassing way of, of, of being in a life. Um, yeah, in a different way, but yeah. When you were in high school and like knowing what you wanted to go to school for were you doing some form of radio in high school as well nah i wish when i hear about people who did like (laughs) youth radio and out in the bay area i'm just like that's the coolest thing (laughs) um no i um well my parents met working at wnyc and so they were always like they they had always talked about it very fondly they loved it they were just like, that's the coolest job. They both were there for like over a decade. And so I'm very lucky, like very, very lucky that I always knew that was a job that someone could have. Mm-hmm. They were never like, how will you pay rent? You know, and they're like, yeah, you can live. That's a job. Um, and I think I, a lot of people in our field, they're like, my parents don't understand what I do. I'm like, you know, I'll contraire. My parents understand exactly what I do. (laughs) And in fact, they probably would do it better than me because they would cut tape with a knife. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I think in a weird way, you know, it's easy in hindsight to be like, I always knew. I didn't always know, but I think Mm -hmm. I just enjoyed the radio so much. And it was always on. It was always on in our house. It's like the first thing I listened to in the morning. And I was just like, this is it. This is where it's at. And then as soon as I discovered podcasts, I was just like listening all the time. I was so addicted. I was like, this is the best thing in the world. I am obsessed with this thing. So I think I was just like, yeah, I'll do that. Like, I'll, I'll just do that. Um, not with any sort of certainty. It was just kind of for like lack of other ideas. It was, yeah, mm-hmm. always presented as an option. So it always has been a part of my life. It's, I've, I've never had. <laughs> and I mean, even when I was like a little kid, Uh, Like when I was nine, my parents gave me a cassette, little cassette recorder. And I was always like recording Mm -hmm. little voice notes. And um, I have like many, many tapes of like little kid me. I think I even, they're like these (laughs) recordings from when I was nine being like, this is Avery the reporter. Like I I just had this idea. Um, But I think I wanted to do more journalism. Like how was I to know that Mm. like storytelling with a capital S would be like a thing. That's cool. I one of my favorite things uh, that's hap- happened sometimes in these conversations because I am trying to now let them be what they're going to be mm. a little bit more and not be so like it has to follow this structure. But I love getting to find out the pieces that we can identify now in hindsight that like make sense now, but we didn't know in the moment that it was going to like all come together in this way that relates and is like a symbiotic relationship now yeah 
Well, it makes so. me feel bad, honestly, because it makes me feel like I had, like when I talk to people who are thinking about getting into radio, they're like, how did you know? It's like, I don't mm-hmm. know. I just, uh, I think it came from like fear. I just refused to let go. I was like, well, if I can't do this, mm-hmm. there's, I don't, I don't know. I just, I was like you, I just kind of like, like you, you're, you're, you're the thing. Um, it felt somewhat random. But in yeah, what what feels random and strange at the time in hindsight feels like fate. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. What what did you mean with that part about the fear of like nothing else? What did what did you mean there? Oh, just like I mean, I remember like I really I really wanted to do this this radio thing, and uh-huh. I got after I graduated from college, I got an internship at NPR. Oh my God. It was like the dream. And I went to DC and then, you know, if you get an internship at NPR, especially when I got an internship at NPR, like before podcasting blew up, you know, there were only like Mm -hmm. a few places you could go, like a few major radio stations. And then like the mothership NPR, I was like, I'm in the beast. I, wow. And it felt like battle Royale or something. It was all these (laughs) interns, like, crawling all over each other to vie for maybe two temp positions where you get to like yeah. stay for a year or something and i didn't get it i was like i was okay summer's over you did your internship at npr now what and i remember i moved home and was just like whoa this could just not happen this could totally yeah. not happen i was applying for all these jobs and i was getting rejected from all these jobs i was like oh maybe this was a really dumb idea and i remember i went to a friend's house like my you know three of my friends were living in this tiny room in chinatown but at the time i was mm-hmm. like that's so bohemian you're doing it and they made me a dinner <laughs> i was like look at them they're getting on with their lives and i remember i just had this feeling like i was sinking under the water it's like they've they're doing they've launched I haven't, I, I, I don't even know what I'm going to do. And I think it was almost like sunk cost. I was just like, well, like I'll, I'll feel so embarrassed if I just give up now. So I, you know, it's, it's funny. Like when I applied to the internship at 99% Invisible, I was like, all right, last attempt. Like if I don't get this, like, I don't know what I'll do. Mm -hmm. And then I, and then I got it. And then I, then it was like the most amazing thing that ever happened to me. So uh, I think, I mean, it's like a not unusual fear. It's a totally like common fear, especially to the people I talk to who are just graduating. It's just interesting. This is going to sound so like unprofound and, and high <laughs> or something. But like now, as I'm older at 30, it's just interesting to be like, oh, right. Life comes in these circles. And like sometimes you're ahead. Sometimes you're behind. Sometimes you need to move home. Mm. Sometimes you need to have roommates. Sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, it goes back and forth. But I think at that mm-hmm. moment, like when the starting gun goes off, it's like real life is here. You're like, ah, like, am I ahead? Am I ahead? Am I ahead? Am I ahead? Or like, am I doing it? And uh, I don't know. Like in hindsight, I'm like, what was you, what were you so worried about? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's one of those things that's like, it's kind of like falls into the cliche category because there is ultimately so much truth, enough truth to it that it like rings true for a lot of people. Um, and I was asking you, I kind of just wanted to ask because I didn't, I didn't know for you, like individually what that that meant and 
it's really nice to hear because you're definitely someone that a lot of people like myself included look at and are like, wow, she's doing like a lot of cool shit. And like, it's like, you know, like in in these roles that I think when you're just starting to get in or you're trying to figure out your way in, you're like, how does, how does one even begin to do these things, you know? So wait, don't you think that that's really helpful? That's interesting Mm -hmm. though. That's interesting for me to hear because you, because you're like, you went your own path. You like started your own, you know, your 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 own show, your own brand, your own like em- empire, basically. And like, do you? I assume you don't feel that way anymore. Like, right? Oh, I no, I'm definitely growing in that for sure. And I think it's funny because the more I talk to people who are kind of in these different roles within the industry, like with bigger companies or things like that, I'm like. I'm realizing how how differently people see me as opposed to how I saw myself for a very long time yeah. in it. And and cuz there you know there was that period where I kind of was I realized very much I wanted to make a shift into podcasting and I was like okay how do I do this cuz I you know I'm like a double English lit person getting like an undergrad and master's in it and like that's great obviously like writing is my shit and like I'm I I know it very well but I didn't have a journalism background and like I didn't you know I didn't have like what I didn't have the internships and and all those things and I you know I applied to so many things kind of like what you were explaining until you got at 99% invisible and I it just just it just wasn't working and then what ended up working was kind of kind of it didn't it didn't fall into my lap like I don't want to say that but it did seemingly come from nowhere but it didn't because it came from me going to work it it came from me talking to people it came from me building shit you know but it's like yeah I think that I'm I'm starting to shift into seeing like oh you're like you're doing it yeah (laughs) it just looks different than what you thought it was gonna look like and yeah I I don't know yeah but (laughs) I don't know. In that way, it's almost like um, maybe everything is like this. I was about to be like, it's almost like dating or falling in love. You're like, nothing works, nothing mm-hmm. works, nothing works until something works. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It only takes like one, one, not one thing, but you know, it's like, mm-hmm. of course, nothing works until the thing that works. I don't know. But again, easy in hindsight. Easy in hindsight. Yes. Easy in hindsight. Exactly. Oh, and I, I now I want to make sure that I tell you what I was going to tell oh, you before yeah. the, the funny, uh, the, well, I think it's funny, but, uh, specifically with you, I actually had not heard of your work until I went to work it. Oh, and, and it was this weird, cause that was also like the, yeah, I'm trying to think of timeline of like when I really was starting to get into into podcasting stuff. But I, I believe that was kind of timeline of when you were still doing. You hadn't been on the cut yet. No. Yeah, um, that I know because that was like one of my like main shows that I was like obsessively listening to and still obsessively listen to. So good. But uh, no, <laughs> it really is. Um, but I saw you speak. But I remember I was staying with a friend and. I was like looking through the, you know, the pamphlet, like the lineup, like what was going on. And I was telling them some of the people that were going to be there. And I was staying with a friend and her husband like heard me say your name and like what your talk was going to be. And he was like, oh, I love her. She's like awesome. And I was like, oh, cool. Like I'll definitely go to her, like her talk and go and watch her speak. And so I went and watched you speak. And after you came out and you were like chatting with people and I was like, oh, I want to go say hi. But it didn't like work out, you know, so like 
chaotic. It's so hard yeah. at those things. It's so chaotic, especially you you as someone who's like coming off stage, like a lot of people want to try and connect with you, right? And so I was like, oh, well, it didn't happen, but that's okay. I'm going to still like, you know, keep up with her work and stuff. But didn't we say and hi then, in like the bathroom or something? We did. I and that. I thought, and oh, that's, I'm glad that you do. But I was, I, I was like, she has great hair. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, and I felt I felt so bad in that moment because I was like, it's uh, it's the very end of the the thing, and I was like, I'm exhausted. She's probably exhausted, but I was like, but I want to say hi and say that I enjoyed her talk or whatever. But I thought it was so. It felt very serendipitous because I was like, oh, it didn't work out. And then literally, as I'm going into the bathroom, you came out, and I was like, ah, yes, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> No, yeah. I'm so glad you said hi. And here we are. Um, and then you were on the cut, and I was like, "Ah, oh, shit, that's awesome." <laughs> um, and I, it's funny because I had Jasmine on, yeah, and kind of asked her a similar question. But I was always very curious as someone who really was into the show right from the jump, and like really loved the first season. And then you came on in second season and I was excited because I knew who you were and we had like met briefly, but I was like, wow, I wonder what it's like taking over a show like that and filling like a new host role, especially cause like with Jasmine and, and Parker, like they got to kind of be like interspersed a little bit yeah. before they took over. So yeah. How was that for you? Like stepping in kind of like, blindly to the audience like they didn't know it was going to happen like there wasn't as much of that transition period for people to get to know you yeah it was honestly so hard and it also happened like during the pandemic and the other thing was you know I'd never worked for the cut before so there were a lot of circumstances beyond anyone's control that made it actually like exceedingly difficult and you know even with shows that have a weekly churn like uh, Parker and Jasmine, Jasmine and I knew each other from the Bay Area, but we had never, none of us had mm-hmm. met before. We weren't like working in the same room. And yeah. also re- remote working was so like new then and everything, uh, it was, it was, it was really hard. It was really, really hard to do. It was really, um, and we had a smaller team than season one. It was a way smaller team. And so it was just, and also the team, the the first team was done by, was made by a different production company, the second, mm. and, and it was just like a, there were a lot of different changes to navigate. And it was, I mean, I, it was an incredible learning experience. Oh my God. Especially like the year that that year was to have to put out a documentary style show every yeah. week. I mean, mm-hmm. in a weird way, I almost look back at the cut as like my my lockdown time capsule. It's like, okay, this is like my <laughs> dispatches, you know, my messages in a bottle from lockdown. Um, but, you know, again, I think this goes back to the idea. I think more than all the, all the other uh, circumstances of the job, I think the most heartbreaking thing to me is so much of my... Yeah, what we were talking about with with life and work having this very porous boundary, I would always (laughs) joke that the work-life divide was 99% invisible. But I think it's just because like so much of it was um, if I got invited to go somewhere, I'd be like, I'm bringing my microphone. I don't know what's there. Or, you know, if I read a book, I was always like looking for ideas. I was always just sort of grabbing stuff and ideas and inspiration from out in the world. And then suddenly... 
I was supposed to be saying more than ever. I was supposed to come up with something interesting to say every week. Yeah. And I couldn't leave. And especially because I moved, uh, you know, a big part of why I wanted to be in New York was I'm from here and my family is here and I wasn't doing anything so that I could be safe so I could see them. So I really, yeah. I was like barely having conversations. I, you know, like a lot, as many people did, I fell into a very deep depression. And in a yeah. weird way, the work sort of saved me. But in mm. another awful way, it was like, oh, this is an incredible platform, an incredible opportunity. I have so much support and the access to the resources at New York Magazine. And for the first time, I just, like, inspiration is so hard to come by. Yeah. Uh, And I think in any other year, in any other circumstance, I would have been, like, throwing myself. It It was very hard to come up with something to say every week. But I think that was mostly just an unusual alignment of the stars. And I yeah. would hope that Jasmine and Parker have had an easier time. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also just moved. Like, there was so much. Yeah. Like, it, it was a yeah. lot. It was a weird confluence of things. And I remember I woke up one morning at the end of the year. And our, the series I did before, Articles of Interest, that had just come out. Mm-hmm. And then I was supposed to have a week off, but it was the week George Floyd was murdered. And so I was just like mm. protesting every day in Oakland and it was very scary. And then I moved to yeah. California and then I moved to New York and then I had to like do this every week. So yeah, I I just woke up one morning at the end of the year and I was like, I'm so, I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Oh man. Sorry, that's yeah. like kind of a... I don't mean to throw anyone under the bus. I think it was just like a weird year to start any job, you know? No, I don't think you did throw anyone under the bus. I think something that I always really like, I think why the cut has been one of my number ones since I've started listening to it is I feel like it consistently like grows and reflects what's happening. and, And even like, I think the the episode that Molly Fisher did when she was leaving was the first time I had ever like, I mean, obviously I don't know the behind the scenes of that, but I bring it up because you kind of did a similar yeah. thing um, toward the end. But like, it was a very like transparent, like reflective, just like real conversation about ending jobs yeah. and doing it in the place that you work. And like, I just personally have come from like multiple really toxic work environments where I was like, God, I can't even imagine like being able to have like just a thoughtful, like real yeah. fucking conversation about yeah. this. And I just, that was something I really loved. And me too. Um, so good. Yeah. And I think that I think throughout the whole pandemic, like I was, I was prior to this conversation, I was like, what, you know, like, what do I want to ask her? Like, what, what, where do I think this conversation could go? And it really made me step back for a minute and be like, we like really, you know, I spent the pandemic like with the cut, you know, like with you through that. And I think that part of it was, yeah. (laughs) And I think that (laughs) I'm like, not, this isn't a parasocial relationship. I'm respecting boundaries, but I do want you to know that that means a lot, you know, that that actually means a lot. That means so much. (laughs) Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. The best part, honestly, were the people like meeting Jasmine Mm -hmm. and Parker. I ran into Parker on the street the other day and we like flipped out. It was so good to see her. And, um, yeah, 
and like Alison Berenger and Kelly Prime, like these are amazing people who I never would have otherwise gotten to work with, and like that was the 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 best, and it and I felt very like bolstered and supported by mm-hmm. the incredible people I got to work with, and then of course on the other side, like hearing and in- interacting with with listeners who were feeling similar. Th- Things we're feeling like depressed and burnt out and confused oh, and yeah. and honestly I think it it yeah it was good it was good because I needed the reassurance that I wasn't alone as much as right. like yeah any of any of us did so thank you that means a lot yeah you're welcome and I I another thing that I was like curious to ask you through your through your time with the cut because of just just like the breadth of like topics that got covered and get, gets covered continuously on that show. But I, I know that it's one that's taught me a lot. And I was wondering, like, through your time, what have been some of the, like, pieces that you did that have, like, really either, like, stuck with you or, like, really taught you something through the reporting of it and the research of it that maybe you just didn't know prior to working on that particular week's piece? Oh, man. I mean, so much. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for the cut, especially during the year that I hosted it, which was, mm-hmm. again, a very hard year, <laughs> uh, was that it made me read and it made mm. me watch things when, again, I was very depressed and a lot of people had said, you know, it's very hard to read. It's very hard to watch things. And the fact that, you know, I had to read books and interview authors and I had to watch TV shows and movies and I had to keep up on culture like I had to in a year when all I wanted to do was you know curl up in bed and that was so rewarding and they were fun books too you know I got to like read Crying in H Mart and Detransition Baby like great books (laughs) you know it's not like like, poor me like someone's twisting my arm it's like incredibly lucky and I think there are moments like that there were moments when I was like, okay, my job today is to go to the park and like read this book and like think of interesting things to say about it and underline it and like that's your job. And yeah. there were days when I was just like, oh, so like blessed to have to stay up on culture week to week to week and have to come mm-hmm. up with new ideas and have to read things. So honestly, that's the big takeaway for me. There was no one, you know, the funny thing is compared to the kind of work that I did for 99% Invisible and Articles of Interest and Nice Try, like that's all mm-hmm. super research-based. Like I learn a lot when I do those stories. Yeah. And the cut was more like a like a song, you know? It was more about mm. like feeling and talking and communicating and reading less than like learning facts, which is what I, which is normally like my wheelhouse. <laughs> I haven't really let myself think about it because it means having to think about the year. And it was hard to talk about when we were in it. That was the other thing. It was like, okay, well, all the things I want to talk about are like <laughs> cliche and everyone's over talking about the pandemic. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It was very hard. It was a year where it was very hard to figure out what to say. And it was a year where it was very hard to work and it was a year that was very hard to be healthy and a year that was hard to figure out how to be. And like, if you think that we made lemonade out of it, then that's all I need to know. Then it like wasn't entirely, you know, a bad year. Yeah, no. I mean, I think it was one of those shows that you could actually still listen to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there were, there was uh, cer- certain, certain, um, 
kinds of art that I couldn't consume during the pandemic. And yeah. I mean, we're still in the pandemic, but uh, yeah. the first wave of the pandemic, like, I, uh, yeah, there were just certain things that I couldn't, I just couldn't do. Like I couldn't read. Yeah. I still can't read that much. And I mean, I come from an English lit background. Like I am a reader, but like, I just can hardly read like books. Honestly, right now. I know. And I, I couldn't listen to podcasts, which broke my heart. Cause that was my favorite thing in the world. Like mm. I loved podcasts, but I could not. I lost yeah. it. I switched to music during the pandemic, which I'd never, I didn't even have like Spotify before. Mm. And I got it during the pandemic and I just started listening to music. But actually, you know, today was felt like a turning point because mm. I don't know, there's some like podcast astrology going on because the new, <laughs> the Seth Rogen podcast made by Richard Parks III just dropped. And this oh, amazing yeah. episode of Song Exploder that's with archival footage of John Lennon both came out today and I was listening to both of them and I was like, wow, podcasts <laughs> are magic. Cool. I think I got it back. I think I got it back. So I don't know. Have you gotten reading back yet? A little bit. I've, <laughs> I've actually been uh, reading some fairy smut. Fairy smut. Very fun and enjoyable. Um, and honestly, not that much smut. It's been mo- mostly, mostly fairy. Like, yeah, mo- mostly like battle torture like but not like not like you know like king torture or maybe it is for some people who read it but it just feels like it, it's just like she's going through trials and tribulations right now and there's like little little moments of smut but it's fun it's light even though i just said torture but like it's light um, fun torture. yeah <laughs> it's like not complicated reading which i think has been like a good entry point i also uh read uh nicole perkins memoir um yeah which was wonderful and a very quick read so that was uh, that, that was actually like a nice like i felt like i was like okay my reading like ability is healing a little bit and so i'm excited to um hopefully get back into the groove a little bit more Um, oh god it's like a spell that's been cast over us all like in the course of the pandemic you will lose the thing you love the most (laughs) like (laughs) the thing that you you thought you loved more than anything get ready you're about to fall out of love with it i know what was what was the music that was um soothing for you in the pandemic when you turned to music honestly um Ah, funny story. I uh, so I, when I was living in Oakland, pandemic happened. I was living alone, and it was like two the two months of full shut in. And then I did something mm-hmm. I'd never done before, which was download Tinder. And because uh, I would always been like, ah, I don't want to do this, but at the time I was like, Well, how else are you gonna meet someone? And yeah. I got kicked off Tinder after twenty four hours. What? I don't know why. I have a few theories. One is that it was an act of God being like, you don't want to be on here. <laughs> and second theory was that I think sometimes people report you if they if they're like if you don't respond to them like like oh. as a revenge thing. And then the third is probably me being an idiot. I was like, well, I don't have any good pictures of me. So I just like Googled myself and used like the top <laughs> pictures, which obviously would is something a robot would do and get kicked <laughs> off the platform. So I was just being an idiot. And long story short, I like, yeah. So I was like swiping for only 24 hours. And at the end, 
and when I got unceremoniously booted off, I had the numbers of two different people and I met up with one and he was like nice and we had beers by the lake and I was like, oh, whatever. And then I met up with the other <laughs> and he was just someone who I never would have met in a million years. We didn't really have a lot in common, but we just really hit it off and we just decided and I knew I was moving to New York and we were like, let's spend the summer together. And he was a musician and he was like, you have to get Spotify so I can make you mixes. And he made really good mixes. And it, there was something about the pandemic that really made me feel like a teenager because it was that powerless mm. feeling again of just like, well, you want to go out. You want to be with your friends. Your life is not your own. You're stuck in your bedroom. And then something about having music again and having mixtape mm. like mixtapes to listen to. It just yeah. felt like full regressing. I spent so many nights just lying on my floor listening to music and sort of like daydreaming. And I realized I hadn't done that since I was in in high school or something. So I don't know. I, I, I just like it to dream. I'll just put on the same song over and over again and walk around in circles all day, which is the opposite of podcasting. So I really <laughs> hope I can get podcasting back again because I miss feeling smart. And I really, honestly, I'm mostly walking around Brooklyn with my headphones on, probably like listening to wings, like, mm -hmm, like not, <laughs> not discovering cool new shit. If you listen to the pod broads, I'm guessing it's highly likely that you are either a podcaster or you know at least one person in your life who podcasts. So this is for you or for that friend. You know how much work it can be to create and promote a podcast. And more often than not, most of that time goes toward production and not promoting. What you need is someone else to take some of those production tasks off your plate so you can spend your time telling the world about your show. That's where Swell comes in. Swell is the first podcast editing service for women by women created by my friends at The Wave. If you want to get some much needed time back into your podcasting schedule, visit swellpodcasting.com and use my code podbrods for 15% off your first month. That's podbrods for 15% off your first editing package with Swell. So you have a new season of Nice Try coming out. Yeah. And I'm excited because this is actually the first time I'm asking someone about something that I haven't gotten to listen to ahead ah. of time. So <laughs> tell me all about it. So yeah, so Nice Try was a show that um, season one was about utopian experiments. And it was really interesting. And we tried to cover lots of different kinds of experiments from all around the world. And they fell into some pretty similar patterns. You could kind of watch, you know, for a lot of these, even though they all fell apart in nominally different ways, it was like either there, you know, these communities were run by a charismatic leader who ages or goes crazy or loses track of his flock and, you know, the, the center cannot hold and the whole thing falls apart. Or... Mm -hmm. It's like a consortium of people and they can't get along and then the whole thing falls apart. And by the end of it, I was just like, what the fuck? Like, can we not live <laughs> together? Like, are are we getting in our own way of utopia? And it was funny because people would be like, oh, it's a podcast about cults. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's a pro it's a podcast about how humans like can't get along. And I was thinking about this. You know, and I don't mean to say that categorically. Like, I'm sure there are lots of communes out there in the world that, you know, aren't 
cataclysmic failures that are just sort of chugging along. But either way, like case in point, after season one, I was like, man, it's hard for people to live together. And then it just made me think about where that utopian impulse went. And I feel as though a lot of my friends are dreaming, especially during the pandemic. They're like, if if only I had a house, you know, if only I had a space of my own, if only I was like, oh, that's the American dream. Like we throw around this word, the American dream all the time, but it has literally affected our dreams. Like when we think about utopia and we think about a perfect place, what do we think of? We don't think of like a commune with all our friends. I'm like, oh, my own house will be my personal utopia. And so we started digging at that. Mm. There's like an amazing, amazing team that I get to work with for Nice Try and uh, Megan Kinane and Diana Buds from Curbed. And then Sarah Burke was on this season. And Sarah Burke just became the editor-in-chief of them, which is crazy. Oh, dope. Because for the last week, I was like, I can't believe the editor-in-chief of them is like booking my interviews and doing like pre-interviews <laughs> for me. That's bananas. She's so talented. It's going to be so good. But we were just talking about um, how we could talk about the private utopia and Mm. um, the private sphere. And so this second season is about individual improvement instead of communal Mm. improvement. Um, And it's about the products that get sold to us again and again and again and again. So like today I was talking to a mattress company CEO and going to do an episode on, on mattresses and episodes on... Um, the first episode that's going to come out is about the um, the doorbell, and it's about how the doorbell became a home the home security system, oh. and so all of these. And there's going to be another one about the crock pot and how it led to the instant pot, and there are all these parallels of like these same things get sold to us over and over and over again, but they're very. Um, like we talked to a lot of people for each one. There's a lot of reading, a lot of like information upload and it, it's been very fun mm, okay so what's been what's been one of your uh what's been one of the factoids that has stuck with you most oh i'm so i'm so deep in it now it's it's fun to like i still haven't written you know i still have to write the last three i have to do like the edits for for four you know we're just like still collecting the tape i'm like still deep in it i have to like go read a book tonight um oh, so I'm like, I don't know, what have I learned? Uh, like I'm a scrambled egg. Um oh, no, am I stressing you out with this question? No, no, no. I just think like <laughs> there's it's less about okay, here's a fun fact. But I feel like the thing that I take away from it is less about individual fun facts. And more about just the way the way we live. Weirdly, mm-hmm. weirdly. I was not expecting this to be a response that I had to, to doing this research, but I'm like so into the commercialization of housework now. Uh, there's mm. this episode we did about the vacuum and the vacuum cleaner. There's a model of the vacuum cleaner where it was giant and rumbling down the street and you it would come to your house and the vacuum hoses would go through the door or the window and they would clean your house and it would go into the vacuum and the vacuum would like go down the street, go to your neighbor's. And housework could have just been a little bit more communal, a little bit more. I mean, actually, that's not like communal. That's like commercial. We could have had Mm. a world where there were communal kitchens where you go cook and bring it home every night. Um, They're just like we could have configured capitalism in a really different way. Mm. And instead, it's like severely privatized. We're like the home is a haven. Don't touch my home. And it's made me think about 
the ways that people are trying to disrupt the home now that are actually not very new at all. For example, grocery delivery was super mm. common. Super really? common. Oh, yeah. Like that, because it was it, it was so much work to run yeah. out and like get groceries all the time. And, you know, your municipal grocer would hire deliverers, almost like how pizza restaurants used to have deliverers. And that was just considered, you know, it, it was it was considered normal and expected to have help whether it was your kids your family your husband your community like big municipal businesses it was just like a there could have been a world where we all had more help and now we're expected to do everything ourselves mm-hmm. and it is considered like bourgeois and babyish to get help in any way and i think we're having the wrong argument about it instead of being like oh it's so like bougie and bad to get your groceries delivered it's like well why mm. don't we just have it more accessible to more people to get their groceries delivered because we should all have access to this kind of convenience um i mean granted it's like that's interwoven with more complicated issues of like who is selling the groceries like are you supporting jeff bezos like it, it spins <laughs> up and it, you know it's like the good place like ah, everything is so complicated yeah. it's very hard oh, to yeah, like make seriously. it simple but like okay the biggest example was like Oh, this is, and that's the thing. I'm like so embarrassed that to admit this, but it shouldn't be embarrassing. Okay. At my laundromat down the street, uh-huh. uh, they have a service where they will do the whole thing for you and like uh-huh. fold it for you. And I would never in a million years have taken them up on that service had I not done the series. I'm like, you know what? Really? Yeah. I was like, I will. This I, I was like, there's no reason for me to do everything myself. I will pay good money for this to make sure this person mm-hmm. is compensated to do a better job at this work that I don't want to do, which like, Mm -hmm. it's so embarrassing to admit, but weirdly I was, I don't know. I was just reading about communal laundries and people being Mm -hmm. like, Oh, we don't have those anymore. That used to be a thing. I'm like, well, my laundromat is kind of close to a communal laundry. We should live in a world where like, people who clean houses professionally should be able to afford someone to clean their own house professionally. Like there should just be a wider culture of, of paying people for housework yeah the end but the the <laughs> the the fun fact uh that i learned was that louis the 14th you want to guess how many baths louis the 14th took in his whole life oh how many baths he took not how many that he had in his home um that's where i thought this was oh, going yeah. um <laughs> it's like well let me think of yeah, how, how many, many times he do you think he um, bathed mm, i feel like i'm gonna go really dramatically low on this um four times <gasps> I was gonna say two. Yeah, yeah. Two. You know, you knew. Yeah, what? you only bathed twice. I should have. I should have listened to my listen to your gut. intuition telling me. Yeah, yeah. Because um. cleanliness <laughs> used to be like he was very clean, but back then cleanliness wasn't about being in water. Because water, like you didn't know what you were getting in water. Why would you submerge your whole body in water? It's got like cholera mm. in it. And so it was all about having clean white linens and just changing your clothes all the time and like not getting very dirty in the first place. And so he was just like, yeah, they believed in like the the restorative cleaning quality of air, not water, which is really interesting Mm. because by and large, we've moved on from that mindset, except in the butt where we use toilet paper instead of water. (laughs) Oh yeah. So that's for an episode. We need bidets. That's the episode. The episode's about bidets. So yeah. Cool. Next week on the Pod Broads. I think that um, you know, honestly, it started during the pandemic and a little bit before. Um, I think that 
there are certain moral black and whites or like um it, like integrity I think has always been a really important part of who I am and what I do and you know in my teenage years it was <laughs> it was much more slippery than it is um as an adult and like in my early 20s but I think a lot of my early and mid 20s were focused on just trying to establish myself in the industry you know making work with people I admire and making something really really high quality because I didn't want to just be tokenized for being you know a brown podcaster I wanted to also be extraordinary at my craft and develop a really strong distinct voice so I think after kind of having proven that point or achieved a certain level of success in that um, and feeling respected in the industry as a producer, as a host, as a writer, um, I started to feel like there were a lot of constraints in like traditional jobs. That's Misha Youssef, the founder and CEO of Dustlight Productions and the current host of the podcast Hello Nature by REI Co-op Studios and Dustlight, presented by Subaru. Make sure to follow and subscribe to the Podbrods wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you'll never miss an episode. Let's get it. your utopia look like i mean uh like in a dream world my sister lives kind of close in she's like a few she's like a mile away from me and we see each other all the time i'm obsessed with her Mm -hmm. and i think (laughs) in a dream world i would live like in a duplex with my sister you know just like something where we're just close not living not living together i'm messier than she is and i think i drive her up a wall but I would love, it'd be so cool. It'd be so cool to like live in a duplex with my sister and share, you know, appliances. That would be great. I love that. Um, okay. Would you rather, this is one that's I'm forming in the moment as we speak based ah. on what we talked about. So we'll see how it goes. Okay. Um, but would you rather have to listen to Oh Darling every day for one month? <laughs> <laughs> or would you rather for one month every time you recorded audio there was just like a high screeching pitch sound Jeez. in the back <laughs> I know this is a mean one <laughs> I mean I'd listen to the Beatles song you know how bad could it be not, oh my god not the screeching not the screeching sound although maybe you know that the mosquito sound that um, do I so there's this it's a form of um making inhospitable public space what where yeah when when there I, I don't think people do this anymore but there's a stretch where like when businesses wanted to get teenagers to stop loitering they would play this high-pitched sound that you can only oh. hear if you're under 30 yeah and so oh. uh sometimes when i'm torturing myself and feeling old i'll like go look up the sound and be like can i still hear the sound <laughs> like have i lost it because you know as you lose the hairs and the cells in your ears, your hearing gets compromised and it can't ever go back. And so you lose the upper registers of, of sounds. So maybe, you know, as a, as a 30 year old elder millennial now, I won't be able to hear the screeching sound that you're proposing. Maybe. 
is my vain hope. You're like, this is my loophole. Yeah, I, neither. <laughs> I didn't know about that, about the, the hairs and the cells in the ears, that that was the reason why. Oh, so. yeah. Once they're gone, they're gone. That's the crazy. And that's why people are like, where, where? How do you um, lose it? How do you? It's because sound is physical. Sound is a physical thing that when it right. hits your ear, if it's too loud, it can like break a, mm. break a hair. And so that's why people tell you to like put on earphones in a concert and you're like, whatever, grandpa. But like truly, if you blast your ears with sound every day, you will, they will take a beating. They will lose. Then you won't get them back. It's crazy. Oh, wow. I know. Because like I, I knew like, you know, obviously like loud sounds that it could cause damage, but I didn't know the like intricacies of it. So that's really fascinating. It's crazy. I did a, a little experiment about it a while ago where I was, um, like OSHA says that you have to wear earplugs in work sites where I believe, I forget what the decibel cutoff is exactly. I'm not going to say it because I'm probably going to get it wrong. But I remember <laughs> I went on BART, the commuter train in the Bay Area, and I brought a decibel reader and I was just like, wonder how loud this is. And it was like way louder than a construction work site, like the screeching of the BART train. Oh. I was like, oh, this is wild. We're just like abusing our ears constantly, constantly, oh constantly. Let's see, two final quick questions. Um, what do you miss most about the West Coast? Oh, I mean like everything. <laughs> no, really. Oakland is so dear to me and I feel like mm. I knew it at a very particular time and it just doesn't, like my Oakland, cities change all the time, right? You know, like there's this beautiful... Mm -hmm. um, Colson Whitehead piece about how New York is changing all the time and everyone has their mm -hmm. own sort of like personal topography of the city. But I really feel like my Oakland, you know, I left during the pandemic and a lot of people I know left during the pandemic. A lot of my favorite bars, like yeah. my favorite bookstore, like all these places, you know, especially in a smaller city where you're like, these are the five places I go all the time and they're all gone. And like I had, you know, these six people I called on and they're all gone. And mm -hmm. so it just feels like, um, you know, Clark Kent carried around uh, Superman carried around in a small vial the last remnant of his hometown of Candor and I just mm. feel like Oakland my Oakland is like a little Candor that I, I have in like a few select objects in my home Aww. but like I, I don't know and when I miss it I think what I'm really missing is like that part of my life because yeah. I can never go back to that either um, so yeah that's what I miss about it I don't know I just and none of that is there anymore so that's sorry that's a bummer answer I wish I could be like, the no. tacos. But like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a bummer answer at all. Um, I think one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is seeing how, how much your intention for a question can be not what happens. And yeah. people answer it, how they take in the question. And I think it's also good practice for relationships in my life yeah, yeah yeah um so i like that um okay for this season of nice try if it were a drink what kind of drink would it be that's so funny i was actually um talking about this the other night when my friend and i were like if we were a cocktail what would we be mm. and i was like okay i think if i were a cocktail i would need it to be like a very specific sequence of events i would need the bartender <laughs> to like first give you a hershey kiss and then you would have to eat the whole Hershey kiss and then you'd tell the bartender you were ready and then the bartender would give you like a, a, a 
a, a slice of orange and then you'd have to like eat the slice of orange and then you'd tell the bartender you were ready and then you'd get like a shot of Southern Comfort or something and like that's the Avery Truffleman. And so oh I feel God. like the nice try would also maybe be, I, I don't know, something. Like it would definitely be a little, because so much of it takes place in like 1920s industrial in, industrialization. Mm. So it would probably be something like a Sazerac. What is that? Oh, it's like a. Um, I think of it as a very like prohibition-y sort of cocktail, but I don't know the actual providence of it. But in my mind, okay. it's very. It's it's a Sazerac. Um, is very spicy. God, does it have absinthe in it? I can't describe what's in a Sazerac. I'm like, what's a Sazerac? Mm. Oh, can Google it. Let me Google it. I'm, I'm looking at this up right now. Sazerac. But it's got rye in it. It's like an old fashioned, basically. Yeah, it's got cognac in it. So oh, okay. it'd be okay. like okay, so nice try season two would be a Sazerac <laughs> that is served to you in a <laughs> baby bottle. <laughs> like ner- it's like a fancy oh, adult knowledge distilled in podcast form and that's nice try season two <laughs> I think that's what I did I like read all these academic books that have like so much research in them and then I'm just putting it in a baby bottle like that's my job mm. <laughs> I guess how foggy it was love that I had no no idea that baby bottle was about to come out of your mouth when you said that <laughs> that's, that's a podcast um, so where can my listeners find you and support the work that you're doing? Oh, thanks. Um, well, I'm on Twitter. My uh, handle is my last name, but my last name is not spelled like you'd think it would be spelled. It's one. It's T-R-U-F-E-L-M-A-N. It's not spelled like the chocolate or the mushroom. And um, that's kind of where I live on the Internet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. This was so lovely. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your thoughtful questions and for all your support on social media and and here on the podcast. Our original music is produced by Carrie Blue. The cover art was designed by Elsa Bermudez. And everything else is produced and edited by me, myself, and I, Miss Alexandra Cole. And you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at Podraland. And you can find out more of what I do at www.podraland.com. Sign up for my newsletter for more recommendations of women-hosted podcasts, related news, and special updates about this podcast. And finally, make sure to share this episode. Tag us in it, like that shit, give it a review. Anything you do helps not just this podcast get more exposure, but also helps these women's voices be heard by way more people. And ultimately, that's my goal. So let's fucking do it. And I'm like, you do audio, you do video, and presumably you have a knife.